If we prepare to hear God's Word, let's turn once again to the Trinity Psalter, this time number 172. Number 172, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your Holy Word. A song sung in unison, and we will sing all three verses, 172. Let's stand together as we sing. Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings 18, and we'll be reading just the first six verses of that chapter. 1 Kings 18, 
beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we might find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in the other direction by himself. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are tonight in our study of the life of Elijah, moving on to chapter 18 of 1 Kings. This is probably the most well-known chapter uh, in the life of Elijah. It will contain that story of the battle on Mount Carmel between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God to determine who the real God is. We will get to that story. But before we get there, The beginning of this chapter gives us more context and more background to that contest that will take place. We are still in many ways just leaving the introductory section of the Elijah cycle. We spent a number of sermons looking at chapter 17, but if you look at chapter 17, it really doesn't do anything to advance the timeline of what is going on in Israel. In many ways, the stories in chapter 17 are something of a parenthesis to the timeline of Ahab and Israel. Notice how chapter 17 begins. Chapter 17, verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then he leaves. We pick up chapter 18, verse 1. Now, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Chapter 17 gives us some background information about who Elijah was, and it reminds us of the power of the Word of God, and that's the theme that runs through this Elijah cycle. But it doesn't really move the story forward. Tonight, we begin to move the story forward once again. In that parenthesis, though, we saw God's provision. God's provision to keep His Word alive. God provides for Elijah through birds and a brook. Then God provides for Elijah through a widow at Zarephath. And then even through the death of her son, we hear this confession at the end of verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. 
That is the theme. God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. The prophet speaks the word of the Lord. And now we read, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. It is three years later, and now, once again, at God's word, the prophet takes action. But as he does so, it seems somewhat strange, uh, somewhat unusual that he would go at this time. Because we see nothing of any humbling or repentance on the part of Ahab. He continues to persist in his own ways. Look at verse 2. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. I hope that rings a little bit of a chord with you. In Samaria, Samaria was the capital. Samaria was where Ahab lived. The famine was, was severe there. Ahab had set up an idol and a temple to the false god Baal. And he is still under God's judgment. And yet with no mention of humbling himself before God, God will send the word back to him and God will send the rain. He, he refuses to submit to God. Verse four, five, excuse me, verse five. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass to save the horses and the mules alive and not lose the animals. He's going to still, after three years, try to solve the problem himself. There has been no rain, but he says, I'm still going to try to fix this on my own. And he sends out himself and his servant to look for areas where there might be water and there might be grass. He still, after three years, hasn't learned his lesson, hasn't seen his need to humble himself before God. In fact, he's still demonstrating himself to be very, very self-centered. Look what he says. Let's go. Perhaps we can find grass to save the horses and the mules. The people are suffering. The people are under this drought. And what is his concern? Let's save the animals. Why, why would he be concerned about that? The horses and the mules were a sign of a king's might. If he had many horses, if he had many mules, he would demonstrate himself to be a mighty, powerful king. That's Ahab's concern. I want to look good. Not concerned about his people, but only concerned about himself. Persistent disobedience, even in the face of this ongoing judgment. As I read this story, it is very easy to judge Ahab. How self-centered. Shouldn't he realize that this is the hand of God against him? Shouldn't he know he needs to humble himself and submit to God? But before I judge Ahab too harshly, I think about my own life and, and the areas of my own persistent disobedience to God. 
It is very easy to see that in the life of others. It is very difficult to see it and to acknowledge it in ourselves. That it is, it is we who still struggle with persistent, deliberate sin, sometimes year after year after year, refusing to humble ourselves before God, refusing to confess we are stubborn, we are persistent, we think we're going to find the water ourselves, we'll take care of our own problem, rather than humbling ourselves before God in confession. The problem with our persistent sin is not, not a lack of knowledge. Some people say, if we only knew more, we would live better. Not a lack of knowledge. We know the truth. We know God's holy word. We know what he calls us to. And yet so often, we still choose to go our own way. In spite of what we know, we just don't do it. Yes, Ahab would be culpable before God. But left to myself, I am just as culpable, just as stubborn, just as persistent in my sin, choosing not to walk in God's ways. And so I'm so thankful for the grace of God that calls us all once again tonight. Even if it has been years of stubborn defiance, if we would but humble ourselves, if we would but repent, if we would but confess our sin, God would be gracious and merciful and kind to forgive us, his people. The hardness of Ahab's heart speaks not only to Ahab, but speaks to the mercy of our God. He calls his servant Obadiah, and they are going to go and look for water in the grass and the valleys. Obadiah, we do not know much about him. Uh, just like Elijah, he just appears to appear on the scene. He just shows up. There he is, Obadiah. But we do know that he is described as someone who fears the Lord greatly. And that fear of the Lord caused him to take action. He is someone who hid a hundred prophets and kept them alive by feeding them. This is not, by the way, this is not the Obadiah of the minor prophets. That's a different Obadiah. Uh, we don't know much about this Obadiah. Like I said, he just sort of appears on the scene. But kids, we do know his name. We know his name. And just like I talked about earlier in this series, names are important. We talked about the name of Elijah, who just shows up. Elijah, whose name means, my God is Yahweh. My God is the Lord. Now we have Obadiah, who just shows up. His name means servant of Yahweh servant of the Lord. And that's exactly what he does. He serves his God. He protects the prophets. Some have asked, how did this God-fear get to be such a high position in Ahab's government? The bottom line is we do not know. We don't know how he got to be here. Some suggest perhaps 
uh, Ahab's syncretic view of religion said, let's just bring everybody in, a, a, a prophet of this God, a prophet of that God would all be good for me to have. Some suggest that uh, Obadiah was just so competent, he kept moving up in the ranks. Uh, we, don't, we don't know how he got there. Because the point is not so much the man, but the point is what he did, his mission. He is one who protected 100 prophets, kept them alive in caves. God uses Obadiah in this present circumstance, uses him to preserve his word in the land of Israel. We saw how God had removed the word from the mouth of Elijah. Elijah says, no rain except by my word, and then God sends him away. First sends him to the brook, and then sends him out of the country to Zarephath. But while that was going on, God still, in the midst of his people, preserved not one prophet, preserved a hundred prophets. God would preserve his word in the midst of his people. A reminder he continues to care for those whom he knows and whom he loves. And God continues to do that even today. He continues to keep his word alive in the midst of his people, although at times it may seem hidden. They did not know about these hundred prophets, so they would have sought them out too. It seems the word of God is hidden, but God is preserving his word. Today, the word of God, the word as spoken by the church, may seem insignificant in the eyes of the world. We have heard in the past months, church is not essential. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In the church, God preserves His Word. In the church, He holds on to those who, who embrace Him, that remnant of His people. The Word remains in our midst, and we can have great hope and great comfort that God will keep His Word and keep His promises to us. I was talking to someone just recently, you know, in the world that we live and we look at what the future may hold, Perhaps we look at what the next few years might hold. And it's frightening. It's frightening to think about. But God preserves His Word. And God preserves His church. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have every hope. We have every comfort. We have every assurance. God remains with His people. Even though it seems the Word of God might be hidden, might be seen as insignificant, God is still at work. God's at work in His church, preserving His Word and preserving His own. We know that the world will call the Word of God insignificant, non-essential. Unfortunately, sometimes even in the church, we act that way. There are churches that are losing the primacy of the preaching of the gospel. The word is, we might say, being hidden. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're going to go on a vacation and you go somewhere and you want to go to church on Sundays. So you can have a restful Lord's Day and you, you begin to look uh, on the internet. What are some churches in the area? It's not easy to find a solid gospel preaching church 
You can find churches that will entertain you. You can find churches that will make you feel good. But to find a church where the gospel is preached that we are sinners saved only by the grace of God, that is not an easy church to find. We pray that in our midst, that truth would never be hidden. That whoever is in this pulpit would continue to teach that basic, fundamental truth of the Word of God. We are sinners saved by grace. God is still at work, and we can be so thankful. He is preserving His Word by the power of His Spirit, and we have every hope for the future. Hope for our children, hope for our grandchildren, because God will not leave His church. We see that God says, go show yourself to Ahab, I will send rain upon the earth. And this is curious to me. It seems strange. Because Ahab, as I said and as we read, still hasn't repented. Ahab is still hardened in his heart against God. Ahab is still self-assured. He will try to fix the problem himself. He will do what is necessary to get out of this current problem. Why? Why would God come while he is in that state and send the rain? Why would God give that gift that will, that will bring life to Ahab and to the land? And as I reflected upon that, it is not the case that somehow the word of God is not true, that God just changed his mind. This is once again a glorious example of the extreme grace of God. It is for us a picture of the gospel, a picture of the demonstration of God's mercy. God returns with the rain, the life-giving rain, even though Ahab had not yet turned. One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture is Romans 5, verse 8, which says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still disobedient, while we were not seeking God, He sent His Son to die for us. Salvation is initiated by God. He is the one who comes and gives the life-giving rain and sustains our life. He sends the rain in spite of who we are, in spite of our willfulness, in spite of our disobedience. It's a demonstration of the glory of the mercy and the grace of God. And he continues to do that still today. God is not sitting back in heaven, wringing his hands, just waiting for us to seek Him out. But God is the one who comes to us even in our arrogance, even in our pride, even in our disobedience. And He initiates the conversation once again. 
and gives the glorious blessing. It is not we who seek Him. It is He who seeks us. We who are dead in sin cannot seek Him. He comes and gives the rain. He comes and gives the life. A beautiful picture in the Old Testament of the Gospel. God is so rich in mercy and rich in grace. And that is our only hope. And that is our only comfort. If my salvation is left up to me and somehow me changing my dark, cold heart to begin to seek Him, I'm lost. I have no hope. No, my hope is in what God has promised, that He would seek and that He would save each and every one of His own. And He does that again this evening. He calls us tonight to put our faith not in ourselves, not in what we can do, not in the water, the life we can find. He calls us tonight to recognize our true condition, dead in transgressions and sins, and to hear His call to life. Simply put your trust in Me. There is nothing you need to do, nothing you need to offer, nothing you could do. I am seeking you. Simply embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the beauty of, of the Ahab story here in Genesis chapter, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a story not, first of all, of the hardness of a king's heart. It's a story of the abundance of God's grace. And so once again tonight, he calls us to recognize what he has done for us and in response to, to praise him for the glorious gift of salvation, taking no, no boasting to ourselves, but recognizing God through his word continues to seek and save the lost, continues to be gracious and merciful to his people. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you and praise you for the glories of your word. A word that is true, a word that is always true. A word that instructs us in the New Testament, a word which instructs us in the Old Testament. And all of that word, O oh God, speaks of your grace and of your mercy shown in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we once again tonight rejoice at the salvation which is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, O God. You did not wait for us to seek you out. Thank you that you were willing, while we were still sinners, to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, our only hope and salvation. May we leave tonight rejoicing in what you have done, and because of that, seek to serve you, to love you, and to praise you in every part of our life and in all the time that you give us to live. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.